Thanks to Crime Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round Christmas guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Christmas guy. I suppose it is. It, it is that time of the season. I, I, and, and, and if I caught myself halfway through that line, I, I, I did have that. You're about to throw in semi-professional again, weren't you? No, no, no. no. I, was, I was worried that you were going to sort of think that that meant that you're a fat jolly bloke, which of course you're not. No, you know, um, I'll take jolly. Yeah, well, no, you, you're you're very jolly, but you're certainly not uh, like a, a the obvious go-to guy to wear the fat suit, fat man suit. No, that's right. Although I have I have I have donned the um, uh, the gay apparel in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in another lifetime. <laughs> As a junior manager in in a uh, a rather large ALH pub, um, yeah, had to play Santa one year. Oh, I thought you were talking about the uh, pink polo shirt and the um, sort of uh, yeah, flaming red sunglasses. No, I wasn't forced to do that. Okay, sorry. Okay, actually, I don't mean but, uh, to make that sound like no, I, I did that without being forced. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I was I was required to to be a Santa. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I just thought you might have uh, commented that you, you were pleased that. I was at least applying some sort of filter that if I caught myself halfway through a thought that they weren't just sort of tumbling out um, completely unprocessed. There you go. Listeners, Matt's special Christmas gift to you all. He's going to put a filter <laughs> on his thought Mate, machine. Well, speaking of filters, um, this week you created, I don't know whether a stir is the right word exactly, but you um, had a bit of a forthright post about discussion on social media that's uh, generated a, a lot of discussion. And uh, funnily enough, as always happens, if you see a lot of discussion happening in the various comments and chat room boards, you know that we're getting a lot of phone calls and discussion personally. And uh, I I believe that you really have um, received quite a response for your post about uh, holding fire on social media sniping. Yeah, yeah, this is something that uh, you and I, I discussed this with you, it was probably six months ago, I think, when it first sort of um, kicked off as a, as kind of a, an idea, and I just oh, it's just a shame that you know the, we have such a wide array of um, uh, of platforms in which to I guess you know share this love of this this thing called beer, um, and yet there just seems to be a lot of um, I get whether it's not appreciating the what we've got, and we, we've often talked about you know um, you know a time before little creatures or Matilda, but, you know, those, those young whippersnappers who can't remember that time when there wasn't great choice in beer and perhaps uh, those of us who have, who have come from that era, I guess, without trying to make ourselves sound in the veteran category, um, but I guess we've seen the evolution and it's kind of like, uh, you know, not knowing what it was like without a mobile phone. Uh, sometimes you just you just can't kind of, I guess, grasp what it was like. In those days, and so um, there just seemed to be just a bit of a a, a a trickle that started turning into a bit of an avalanche um, of sniping it, um, and and not at the quality of the beer or, or anything like that, but it, but it was more about you know I guess politicising an ideology, you know, making it a bad ideology, which again um, of itself isn't a bad thing. Not at all. I, I, I often make that comment that you know um, at the tastings that I do. You, know, you, you can't. You know, people sort of want you to shit can Forex um, Gold, for example, or you know, particularly at the moment in Queensland, we've had this uh, the Forex Gold Pale Ale launched, yeah. and people want you to sort of just say they just presume you're going to hate it, and you know, it, it, it's a it's 
firstly, an incredibly well-made beer um, you know, in, in a technical sense. Secondly, yep. it's um, a large brewer acknowledging that there is a shifting of tastes um, and sort of trying to cater to that market, um, all of which is a good thing. Um, and people almost seem crestfallen when you don't just jump in and stomp all over it. Um, but then I sort of say, well, you know, but that's not, it, it's not a beer that I'm going to drink a lot of because it's not to my personal tastes. And secondly, you know, it, even if it was to my personal taste, I would probably choose something from a smaller independent brewery because I like, you know, I, I see my purchases as a vote for the way I want the future of the beer industry to be. And I like a lot of diversity in the beer industry. And so by buying smaller you know, beers from smaller independent beers. It's protecting that diversity. Yeah, and, and that's my view. And there is a very political element of that. Um, but people almost seem disappointed that, you know, that just by, you know, being upfront about it being political and not sort of rolling the, the political up with, oh, it's a shit beer and they're bastards and all of those sorts of things. They almost seem a little bit disappointed in that you're sort of hedging your... Well, you've got to put on either side of the fence. Yeah, I, I remember very clearly um, a year 11 art teacher who, uh, you know, a bunch of, I don't know, 20-odd, you know, smart-ass 17-year-old boys who, you know, all thought we, we could do anything and be anyone. And he, um, we were doing art history one day and he said, yeah, when you blokes look at a, a piece of modern art and go, that's a piece of shit, I could do that, you're a piece of shit because you couldn't. And I always sort of remember that because, okay, yeah, you know, it's it's easy to to kind of, I guess, to can, um, you know, the easy targets, but you've got to be able to then back that up. Uh, and so that was part of the the reason for the um, for the story and, and and how it kind of grew and developed was that, um, you know, I could see people, okay, that's fine, there's your opinion, but where's the, you know, there's the sizzle, but where's the steak? You know, what, what's, yep. your, what's your um, your rationale for saying that that, that, that beer's, uh, you know, 5H1T? And, yeah, I, I've had uh, about half a dozen, um, some very lengthy uh, emails, um, three phone calls, a uh, dozen, you know, text messages and then um, and, and then the various comments. So, obviously, and, and interestingly enough, it's all, um, bar one or two, it's all been pretty much uh, in support. So I don't know whether that means if some, somebody doesn't want to be the one to say, I resemble that remark, uh, for fear of being identified as, as, as one of the, the guilty, so to speak. But, but there haven't been any terribly anti that I've seen. Um, you know, there, you know it's, it's been mainly support. And um, there, there have been some that have said, uh, like Ben um, weighed into the comments, um, I like the kind of openness. Uh, getting into dangerous territory with this article, nice. I didn't think it was all that dangerous, but anyway. Uh, I kind of like the openness of social media, including sledging. It is a little too far the other way with the more traditional media outlets as journalists who seem too scared to criticise products. It appears are a bit too cautious, even if products are obviously not up to scratch, as it will reduce their access in future. And, yeah. and that's a very good point. That, yeah, that, that is yeah. a very fair criticism of media because media is advertising-driven. Um, and then there is also, you know, there's a whole lot of corporate pressures that stop you from doing it. And quite often it's because... Most journalists are generalists. They don't know enough about a particular product. Um, and then you and I see that all the time when journalists cover beer and they think that it's a very um, simple thing to cover because everyone drinks beer and they've got no historical perspective and no quality perspective and no social perspective from which to give it. They just look at it as a cold liquid. Um, and, and so he does make a good point. But at the same time, 
a lot of the comments that I saw that you were um, referring to were some of, you know, particularly some of the Facebook comment boards that have pretty much grown up around, um, you know, basically shit canning and just giving uninformed opinion, you know, uninformed, very loud opinion about particular beers and breweries and who's dumbing what down and who's sold out and who's, you know, making shit beer. And or, you know, it, it, it seems like a, a haven for trolls um, and, and, and not doing anything constructive at all. Yeah, and I, look, my, um, I guess my motivation for this was that, you know, as I said before, part of it's that knowing what it was like and how easy it, it would be for us to revert back to um, uh, you know that lack of choice if we if we don't nurture, nurture and, and nourish and grow and promote what we've got, um, and it's not all about hiding the poor beers because those ones those those will get found out in the market. But I think as a um, as as one commenter that might have been a, a private email pointed out, you know the big big beer must be you know sort of seeing some of this stuff and, and rubbing the hands together and going, well, you know, these guys are fighting amongst themselves. So we're, we're not in such a bad, we're, we're still the 95% and they still can't work out, you know, what's good and what's not. Yeah. But, and, and that's the thing, I mean, having a, you know, you, you talked about the historical perspective and thinking back to, you know, even, you know, in, in a lot of places, you know, five or six years ago, um, when to find any interesting beers on tap was, uh, you know, a, a thing of joy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it was the exception, not the rule. And it was the exception of the rule. And, and even now, you know, with craft beer only being 5%, it still is the exception of the rule. It, unless you sort of travel in the sort of more cosmopolitan centres, um, yeah. you're still not going to be seeing a lot of um, craft beer once you get out of those. But having a historical perspective, of course, doesn't make you right, um, or it doesn't make us right. But no, no, no. It, it does give us a sense of perspective about the various weights to give to some of some of the other things. Mm. So yeah, but no, I, I thought, and I certainly commend everybody to go back and read that um, comment. And Pete, I, I, just on a personal note, um, you know, I know that you are a beer writer, but you don't sort of hold yourself out as being a trained journalist or anything. But I just thought it was a beautifully written, very fun, you know, moved along at a nice pace. And there's a piece of writing, quite apart from the ideas contained in it, um, I thought it was a really nice piece. So well done. Thank you. And I should I should give uh, um, some of that credit to you because my writing has certainly um, developed and improved um, under the uh, the occasional tutelage and the uh, the odd um, tip that you'll throw in. So you'll notice I don't I, no no more almost sentences uh, are, are less than or fewer than twenty five words. <laughs> oh man, this is becoming a little bit of a circle jerk. So it's a little bit of a mutual admiration society. So we might move on. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, um, now this week we're speaking to, uh, dare I say it, another refugee from Mountain Goat or another <laughs> uh, another former employee of a Mountain Goat, um, another man who's very closely identified uh, with Mountain Goat, Tommy Latest Delmont. Latest in our um, series of Where Are They Now? Yes. We speak to Tom well, Delmont. No. It, 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 mind you, they're the only two wags who we spoke to last week and Tommy Delmont are the two... Uh, or, or were there other sales guys that left post Asahi recently? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so maybe it, they're, they're... it just so happens that the two guys that we had been wanting to speak to anyway, um, and and look, uh, as we I think bring up in the in the chat with Tom, uh, as we did with Wags, it's not that we didn't want to speak to those guys before. It's just that we generally, um, you know, got comment from Dave or Cam uh, 
um, as the go-to guys, I guess, at, at GOAT. So it's, um, it's nice to be able to, um, to chat to these guys, I guess, in their, in their new roles. So, well, mate, I, I, we recorded this chat with Tommy Delmont last week and we sort of covered a lot of his history. So we might just uh, pretty much go straight in and uh, find out a little bit about who Tommy Delmont is. I was working away in Marine as a uh, quarantine entomologist. So I was identifying insects for quarantine and I discovered great beer um, after growing up in Adelaide and, and, uh, and you know, tasting Coopers and, and really you know, having always having Coopers in the fridge. I moved to Melbourne in 2003 and uh, finally plucked up the courage to walk into a trendy little cocktail bar in North Melbourne and I said, oh, what's on tap, mate? And he uh, just said, try this and poured a nice big frosty stein of uh, high tail ale and um and that was pretty much uh, a key moment in my uh, life and uh, and I went wow this is a sensible alcohol but it's got great hop aroma and and this beautiful malty backbone this is what I've been missing uh, all these years and then uh, not long after that little creatures pale ale arrived at the hotel metropolitan in north melbourne and um and yeah it went from there we uh just enjoyed good beer with me and my friends. We visited the Mountain Goat Brewery in the Royston, and then I was on the mailing list, and it was just a, an old uh, tight uh, mailing list back then, and emailed out from Dave, and um, they said, we're looking for a part-time on-road goat, 30 hours a week, and I thought, yeah, let's just chuck in the uh, the degree, the career that I've, uh, you know, that I've got going here with, with quarantine the federal government, and, um, and let's just uh, see if I can sell beer. <laughs> no, that's, it sounds like a very uh, craft story. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's that's I think one of the great things is uh, you know, the, yeah, the passion of uh, people involved in this industry. Last week, and so so you spent uh, quite a considerable. I mean, you you very uh, much identified with mountain goat um, as as one of their road goats. Um, last week, we caught up with uh, Mark Waghorn, who known to many people as Wags. Uh, right, it wasn't long after the announcement uh, of Asahi that, that you moved on. Can you tell us a little bit about your thinking there? Uh, yeah, yeah. I was actually the last uh, Victorian guy to move on, so the others had all jumped uh, before me. But um, yeah, I guess um, uh, you know there were some great opportunities on the table, um, and with Wag sort of moving uh, pretty quickly uh, to Temple, um, we'd sort of he was a uh, yeah I guess our main supporter, being the national sales manager and. Um, and uh, our manager, and um, so it was probably, you know, just time to look for a new team, and um, and what better place to land than Byron Bay, um, with some yeah great guys, great expertise, and um, and yeah, some, and they had some plans underway that I was pretty excited about. Tom, we should point out that um, when you're talking about you know what better environment than Byron Bay for those of you, and I count myself um, highly among them. Uh, here in in Melbourne, you're one of the uh, the nicest blokes to to get caught at the uh, the hot end of the bar with over a couple of beers. You're not actually moving to Byron Bay, so we'll still be able to catch up with you down here. But you'll be working sort of uh, out of Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, by that I mean um, a subsidiary of the Stone and Wood Group. Um, yeah, we set up with the three founders, um, Brad, Jamie, and Ross, and. Um, and it'd it be uh, underneath the, the umbrella, but working with Square Keg as the sales and distribution uh, company for Fixation Brewing Company, which is um, our IPA brewing operation. 
So tell us a little bit about that. You are probably the Australian face for IPAs is the way that I've heard you describe, Australia's most passionate IPA man. Um, Stone and Wood is a brewery that once said they would never make an IPA. Um, tell us how this uh, little you know, marriage took place. Yeah, well, I did sneak one out, Matt, as part of the Beers of the Earth, and that was a that was a pretty good, uh, well, I'd consider it a double IPA, or it's at 8.2%. But, um, but you're right, uh, I guess, and that's why I think um, it made sense to uh, differentiate the um, the brand and, and the style of beer, because um, it probably you know, didn't fit in the portfolio of Stone and Wood beers, um, which are very um, you know, balanced and uh, and drinkable, and all about that sort of um, you know sessionability and and um, really nailing those styles. And, and I guess um, we're going to nail a style, but it's going to be a bit bigger and a bit more uh, in your face and a bit more hop driven, and um, and a bit more one sided, I guess, towards the uh, towards the hops as opposed to the malt. And um, and I think. Um, yeah, that that was uh, the boys' thinking as well, is to separate out. And also the cider, probably uh, the Treehouse Cider, which is part of the Granite Belt Cider Company, which is also going to be through Square Keg, um, is another product that, you know, didn't really suit the Stone and Wood road crew um, talking about those kind of products. So it made sense to have a separate uh, team working on uh, new developments and also some other products that they're going to have down the track. And at this stage, uh, there's also Aspel Cider, coming from the UK. So what's your role with fixation? Uh, my official role is managing partner. So, um, yeah, I'm uh, going to be across all the events, uh, brew days, uh, sales, working with the Square guys, riding in the car with the Square guys and, and um, making sure that uh, we have the right pubs on board as we can. We're not going to have a lot of beer to start with, so we're just going to uh, start off with a handful of venues um, and only kegs. Um, for the first three or four months, and then, um, and then, yeah, basically run the show. So I'll be, uh, yeah, travelling around, making sure people know how good IPA can be. And the beer is going to be coming out of the Byron Bay Brewery, the smaller original brewery. Yeah, at this plan, at this, this stage, we plan to make um, all the beer in the original Byron Bay Brewery, which is a 25 hectare uh, brew house. Um, we have uh, one tank. Uh, a 50 hectare tank to play with at the moment, and um, yeah, I guess uh, you know the guys are open to um, you know if we if we needed to, we might have to wrangle another tank from Luke, um, the uh, um, treehouse cider man, or um, or we might have to uh, yeah look at a, you know something down the track. But at this stage, we're just going to yeah start off with the, the one tank, two brews, do a big 12-hour brew day uh, once every couple of weeks and um, make sure we throw uh, plenty at it and just nail the style and, and also make sure that when people get this beer it's um, it's super fresh so it's tasting great that's why we're sort of just making sure that we have um, just a few pubs on board and we uh, and we make sure we look after them and um, yeah go from there I did notice, Tom, that one of the key statements in the uh, in the media release was that uh, you're just sort of concentrating on uh, a few pubs. Eastern Seaboard, uh, at least just to start off with, and, and part of the reason for that is to ensure that the product gets there, um, I guess, in the, the best possible condition. Is that something you think that perhaps has been missing in the IPA category and why some people think, oh, hang on, you guys are jumping on as, as the trend is kind of dying off? Yeah, I think, oh, I think there's some great IPAs in Australia and... Um, 
and some fantastic examples out there. There's definitely also some that are sold that are past their prime and and, um, and probably not even arriving in the best condition. So, for instance, I bought a bottle the other day in a uh, you know, great great bar and um, it was a recommendation on the staff picks and it was out of date. And I, I didn't, you know, sort of uh, kick up a fuss or anything, but it just goes to show you don't really know how fresh some of the beers are that we're buying until you have a look at the fine print. So I think, um, and also there's some breweries which have probably an IPA as, as one of the four beers that they're making. So we think if we focus just on this one style of beer and get it right, then um, then that's sort of a good way to approach it, as opposed to having, um, you know, a lager, um, a, a hef, um, a pale, and an IPA in the mix, which means those kegs always have to be available, which also then affects, you know, how much time they might be kicking around before they're poured. Mate, it's interesting to hear you talk about uh, you know freshness and and those sorts of things, and particularly uh, you know when you're putting a staff pick on of a beer that's out of date. Um, now we, we don't know why they did that, but one of the things that I've noticed is you get a lot of a lot of people have come to the excitement of uh, what we call craft beer in the last sort of eighteen months, two years, three years. Um, and you know, perhaps a lot of of them don't remember the, the the time, even you know, seven or eight years ago, when there were very few craft beer bars, um, and they they've been given an abundance of imports, they've been given an abundance of small startup breweries, and they're, if their first experience with an IPA is an American IPA that maybe hasn't been looked after or is maybe out of date, and they come to think that's what an IPA is, do you think? That shapes their, um, fla- you know, shapes their flavour profile for what a, for what they should expect of an IPA. And does that sort of hurt brewers that are making fresh IPAs by comparison? Uh, absolutely. I, I think uh, a, a beer that's an IPA that, yeah, unless, uh, even even a bigger, a higher alcohol um, take on it, they really are best designed to be consumed within you know a couple of weeks, you know, three or four weeks of, of production and. And um, and yeah, I think uh, if someone uh, and for, you know, I've been to quite a few bars in my time, and I've had lots of bar staff say, oh, I just don't like IPAs. I just I don't like them at all. And um, I think they've probably had some, you know, maybe some out of balance or um, some flabby, maybe some slightly stale versions. And um, and if they can get a super fresh one that's really well balanced. Um, you know that that'll that'll be the uh, the game changer, and I think that's where if we can make sure we you know have a just a very small uh, run and just keep it really uh, you know uh, coming out every couple of weeks, but super fresh, then we can really um, try and you know just show people how good they can be. When you, you know think when you're sitting on uh, <laughs> you know beach in LA somewhere or in a great beer bar. And, California and, and you have some of those local fresh versions that are turning over um, they're just a, a fantastic style of beer do you think venues have a responsibility to um, you know particularly venues that hold themselves out as inverted commas you know craft beer specialty bars have uh, you know that they, they have a responsibility to curate their lists rather than just put whatever they can get their hands on that's latest you know the, the latest and the most interesting most hyped uh, brands yeah, I, I think so. I think um, there's more and more venues approaching the taps by style. 
So they might have um, always have a, a pilsner tap and always have a pale tap and always have a couple, normally a couple of hoppy, you know, hop-driven taps because, well, they're you know, popular with, you know, beer people, but also, um, you know, they, they, normally the venue owners like them as well. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, curating a list is, is crucial, not just um, just finding the cheapest, latest beer and, and throwing it on or, or um, you know, just worrying about sort of moving huge volumes of things. But I think, um, but it's also a balance, you know, you still want to have people walking into a venue feeling comfortable and seeing a few names they recognise. So it's sort of a bit of a balancing act, I think, for the, the, the venue operators. Now, the IPA is a style, particularly it's really uh, was given its uh, impetus in in the US and we've seen all of the fracturing of West Coast and East Coast and Southern West Coast IPAs um, and it really has become a bit of a juggernaut in the uh, the, the, the US um, small brewing scene. We haven't quite seen the same embrace um, for IPAs in Australia. Um, what, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I think we're still they're still catching up a little bit. Um, I think there's some really great IPAs being made now in Oz and New Zealand, um, and well, yeah, in particular, it's been you know, New Zealand's been into it for quite a while. I think the climate's probably got a little bit to do, as in the the climate, the weather, um, that probably has a little bit to do with, uh, you know, um, move towards a lot of sort of flavoursome but quite sensible, drinkable uh, beers. Perhaps uh, Australia also likes, you know, to have a have a, a few beers rather than one bigger beer. But I guess there's now a new movement to drink less but drink better, and um, and I guess that's where an IPA can come in as well. Is um, you can have you know one or two IPAs and have that same satisfaction as having you know three or four um, you know more uh, drinkable or more or more um, lower alcohol beers. Um, and I guess that's why. We've seen a big movement as well to, towards the session IPAs, which I consider sort of a just a slightly you know more hot pale ale. But um, but I think perhaps I an think, unbalanced pale ale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we're going to catch up really quickly. You know, I think um, you know, you can see that it's obviously a huge thing in the US beer scene, and I think as you know, there's some great examples. Some of my favourite IPAs in Australia now, are, you know, Hawkers and Pirate Life and Kaiju guys are doing great stuff and seeing more and more great examples of it. So I think as the quality and, and um and the approach improves, then this kind of beer, which really, you know, does need to be mastered to be um enjoyed by punters, um, will start to grow. Tom, one of the other um I guess strings to your bow that you haven't mentioned, uh, apart from being uh a, a bass guitarist in a in a punk band of some renown, but also uh <laughs> Very famous down here for um, for your regular trivia nights. Is the um, uh, is the trivia going to suffer as a result of the new gig, or, or perhaps go yeah. on hiatus until you know you can see yeah. you can fit it in? Yeah, I do have my weekly uh, trivia hosting gig, uh, Prof, and we are looking for a uh, for a good person to fill in when I'm uh, hosting uh, hop driven beer dinners in other parts of Australia. But if you'd like to have a chat, mate, I can certainly run you through it. I think you'd be a great host for a quiz night. Consider um, it done, yeah, mate. If, uh, any any hop heads that love a good beer list, there, there might be a trivia gig uh, yeah, coming up next year. Uh, mate, now the other thing that um, I consider, uh, and amongst your very many um, achievements over the time that you were with Mountain Goat, but I think probably the most memorable is that 
you're probably the first person ever to be immortalised in 3D printing as a uh, as a tap handle. Are we going to see the little Tommy Delmont, um, you know, thumbs up character as perhaps the the face of Fixation Brewing, or you know, carved as a tap handle? Because those guys up, you know, the Mash Collective, there must be a a wood carver up there who could do like a life size that, that could perhaps. Yeah. You know, I think it's hilarious. The Great Northern did insist if you're going to pour my beer, I had to get a 3D sculpture made, which we managed to find a way of doing that. But um, I, I don't have any plans to put my face on any more bottles. I don't think it's good for sales long term. <laughs> and um, and we're going to move away from that and move towards talking about fixation IPA um, in, as opposed to my ugly, smiley face that loves hops. Now, now another thing, Tom. Um, for many years, you managed to get around doing deliveries, and and, and for all the beer reps out there, uh, all very familiar with the uh, the concept of of um, beer case Tetris um, when you when you're doing deliveries and that sort of thing. For a long time, you worked out of a very a very small was it a Nissan Micra or a we 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 didn't have we didn't have a lot of uh, money to spend on fancy vehicles, and I found a way of making sure my car allowance went a long way. And it was a car that was covered in advertising. And yeah. it was a company that would then give you a smart car for quite a, uh, a reasonable price per month, including all of the servicing and things. So mine was covered in diet yogurt for a while, which uh, was quite funny to a lot of people because you know, as I'd squeeze my way out of a smart car with a keg next to me on the passenger seat, <laughs> I'd say, oh, don't worry, this stuff doesn't work. Um, and point to the diet yogurt. But, um, but I... Uh, I, yeah, I did have a keg strapped next to me in a smart car in the passenger seat once, and um, and I do remember a local guy. His son asked him, "What is that, Dad?" And he said, "Oh, that's a keg, son." And he said, "Why would he have that?" And uh, his dad replied, "He must be a very heavy drinker." <laughs> <laughs> it was quite funny because um, it did take me uh, yeah, a bit to get in and out of the smart car, but it was a very economical way to get around Melbourne across yeah. Excellent. Beautiful, Tommy. So I guess the uh, most important thing is when are we going to see uh, the, the beer hitting the uh, shelves? Okay, so we've got, yeah, great. We've got some kegs coming next week. So first keg deliveries are hopefully going to happen on the 16th of December next week and just, uh, just to a handful of uh, good pubs in uh, Melbourne and also uh, Flynn from Square Kegs looking after a few key pubs up in um, Bridge Vegas as well and um, and around the Northern Rivers. So, uh, yeah, the first official kegs should come off the line, um, yeah, 14th onwards, so next week. And then, uh, obviously, it depends when the show uh, goes out. And then um, and then we're hoping to have just some kegs um, through until March, and then we hope to have some four-packs ready for a few key uh, independent bottle shops. Excellent, Tommy. Well, all the best with fixation. I'm looking very much uh, forward to trying. I'm not... I have to say, IPA is not my uh, number one style. There is certain occasions a call for an IPA, but if there's one that I'm uh, interested in trying, it's certainly uh, fixations to see what the team at Stone and Wood uh, come up with. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I appreciate all the support. And, um, yeah, we'll uh, make sure you guys can try the beer as soon as, uh, as soon as possible. Terrific, Tommy. All the best with fixation. Cheers, guys. See ya. In the garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. 
Serious about handmade beers and with an open-door policy, Brewpacks brewers love having passionate hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There we go, Prof. Mate, he's a... I, I, I can't think of Tom Delmont without thinking of that image of him in the glasses, you know, that sort of very famous tap decal that became a 3D tap uh, handle um, of him. He's just, you know, the, 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 the face of... Well, it, it, it would be a great face for uh, modern craft beer in some ways. Yeah, yeah, just unbridled joy. Um, I mean, Tom's just one of those guys who's just got that love of life and, and that just rubs off, which I guess uh, he wasn't a salesperson who then found beer. He was a, a beer person who then found sales. Um, mm. And it, it was just a, a nice meshing, just a nice, a nice fit. Um, and I don't think Tom ever sold a beer in his life. I think lots of people just bought them off him. Yeah. And uh, and also uh, he was one of the stars of the uh, shit beer geek say video from twenty thirteen. Yeah, yeah, and going back to the original beer ambassadors with himself and Miro and Barney when they uh, when they did their um, the, I guess the video tour of um, of the west coast of the the states. Oh, I don't think I've ever caught that. I have to go back and watch it. Yeah, if you, if you have a look at, I think it's a, there might even be a beer ambassadors YouTube channel, perhaps where they just sort of uh, went and visited all the. Um, well, what now? I guess are the you know the big players, but uh, but back then were probably for us, you know, that we were being introduced to you know Green Flash and Bear Republic and those sorts of um, um, uh, Deschutes and all that sort of thing way back when. So uh, yeah, no, he's certainly a bit, uh, just a wonderful guy. So uh, no, very good to chat with him. Now next week we are in the process of trying to set up our interview with um, Warren Pawsey, who's the head brewer for Little Creatures, um, so we can sort of uh, you know. Put it to him that Little Creatures is no longer the beer that it once was. <laughs> yet again. And, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yet again. Event, so. No, but that'll be uh, a, a nice stuffing, stuffing stocker, a stocking stuffer stocking for, stocker our, um, for our listeners heading into, into Christmas. Because, uh, look, I think Warren's a, a top bloke in terms of, um, the, just, again, the way he, he shares his passion for, for beer. And, and you could also, you know, I mean, you know, where are they now? Um, Warren's uh, first gig... He, he here. didn't work for Mountain Goat, but no, he no, has no. worked for a lot of breweries. No, he didn't. No, but um, but in the you know six degrees of Kevin Bacon, he um, the the kit that he uh, installed and, and first started the first well, well one of the first um, brew pubs in Melbourne was the uh, the old um, uh, Gbung Polo Club, and that um, that very first brew house um, became Mountain Goat's first brew house. Ah, so he did. Okay, so he he did have a tenuous connection to Mountain Goat. There you go. <laughs> he didn't actually brew at Mountain Goat. Well, um, no, but uh, I think if you speak to to Dave, he'll tell you that uh, you know when they unpacked it and set it all up, they found you know like a the, the plastic sleeve attached with a a cable tie um, with you know Warren's handwritten notes on various bits and pieces. So I don't know whether you know some of those notes became you know Mountain Goat beers or um, but there's certainly his fingerprints there. Very much so. Yeah, so we'll try and team up. We're still trying to get on you to sort out the time difference. Um, another fellow who uh, contacted me who's very keen to have a chat, and in fact, I'm very keen to have a, another chat with him, is uh, Stephen Beaumont, um, who's the Canadian uh, author um, and beer critic that we had on, oh, it must be six months ago yeah, now. Six months ago, yeah. His new, beer, his new beer book is out, uh, Beer and Food book, which is excellent. Um, 
So, yeah, so we'll uh, probably speak to him early in the new year. I believe he's sunning himself on a beach somewhere at the moment, so he's obviously not in Canada. Not but, in uh, Canada. <laughs> we, will, yeah, we will get in touch with him. Um, Prof, because we have been a little bit regular, we do have something of a mailbag, which is good. Thank you very much to everyone uh, for getting in touch. Um, have we got a mailbag Luke, tune? Lockie, cue the mailbag tune. Communication's never been as easy as today And it would make me happy when you've gone so far away Nice little email from uh, Luke, uh, who commented on the episode 70, so a couple of episodes ago, when we spoke to Chris Herring um, about the Brewers Clarics um, from Beard and Beard and Brow. Um, guys, I've been thinking a bit about the ending to this episode, and now this was the episode where I think we got a little bit of comments about, um, you know, there were a bit of sniping between us. Um, guys, I've been thinking about uh, the ending to this episode where you talked about the previous week. For God's sake, don't start editing your personal thoughts in the interest of a unified stance. Sorry about the uh, Momo filter kicking in at the start of this episode. Um, if one of you feels like getting on the soapbox and the other just feels fatigued, then there's nothing wrong with that. I've heard you say before that people don't like it when mum and dad fight, but that is exactly when the show is interesting. I like the show because I feel like you guys are passionate and honest. I like that you have a bit of a dig at each other. That's Australian. Please don't become smooth and slick. No risk of that. Please keep challenging marketing bullshit. If I had an iTunes account, I'd give you some stars, but I don't. Luke, <laughs> thank you very much. Luke, that was a, that's a wonderful uh, uh, post. So thank you very much for that comment. No, um, we'll take that on board. So from now on, yeah, we, you know, if, if, the, if the urge comes over me, Matt, you're ugly and your mum dresses you funny. <laughs> I find it very hard to actually argue with that problem. Um, although it's, it's, it's not my mum, that's all me. Um, let me see. So we did have a couple of emails. Um, that one from Luke. Um, Nick Decker, who has posted recently. Um, actually, we've had a... He's probably, Nick's possibly more regular than we are. He is more regular than us, and this is a recent one. Uh, beer versus craft beer. Love the show, as you've probably noticed with the tweets. He's been tweeting us a lot. Uh, I listen every week. Uh, look, I just want to give you my thoughts on the beer versus craft beer debate. In my experience with beer, I think currently there is a huge difference between beer and craft beer. To me, craft beer has a distinctly bitter taste, flavour profile, mouthfeel and aroma, not to mention a lot more variety. Having grown up in Brisbane with 4X Gold, the beer of choice for most people around these parts, that's what I grew up drinking and that is what all the bottle shops stocked. Gold, bitter, Carlton, mid, Teddy's, VB or lagers. There was never any craft beer around. I uh, never really liked beer, but it was cheap and easy, and that's what you want when you're 17 to 18. In fact, I still don't like those beers. They are flavourless and waste a lot of perfectly good calories and money. <laughs> uh, when you compare a mass-produced fake craft beer such as Yender Pale Ale, which I would just call beer as it has a little to no aroma, flavour or mouthfeel compared with a real craft beer such as Three Bolt Pale Ale by Green Beacon, you can really taste, smell and feel the difference. To me, that is the difference between beer and craft beer and until smaller microbreweries of all styles and sizes have so 50% of the beer market or more, I'll continue to call it craft beer to distinguish it from great beer and shit beer. Anyway, I'd give you uh, my view. Mate, that's, um, you know, the, the sort of well thought out uh, 
comment we were thinking. There, there are a couple of things about that, you know, and you, you could sort of probably hold up some beers from Yenda um, or, you know, James Squire Golden Ale or, um, you know. You know so, so we're not going to pick on them because they make pleasant beers that are enjoyable to drink and, and, and are faultless and don't have um, fermentation issues or, or packaging faults. Well, that doesn't make it craft. I, I guess that the point that he's making is craft beer has that element, extra element of interest and novelty, and, and that's where, to, to me, the craft beer tag becomes meaningless because for some people it's small, um, and yet Sierra Nevada, um, which is probably on par with any any brewery in Australia. Well, didn't we discuss um, it's, it's, yeah, 10 times bigger than Cooper's? or? Yeah, and, and it's still regarded as a, a craft beer. I mean, Cooper's would only crack the top um, 10 craft. It makes 80 million litres a year. Um, so size doesn't come into it. Ownership doesn't come into it because Mountain Goat, many people still regard it as a craft, even though Asahi owns it. Um, Flavour is very much a... Uh, um, it's a subjective it, thing. It, it is a subjective thing. And I don't Just don't forget, if you've, if you've been weaned on two is new or 4X or gold and then you have a, a Yender Hells or a, or a Pale Ale, you might be going, wow, geez, there's a bit going on in here. Whereas if your you know regular tipple is half a dozen hop hogs, you're probably going to go yeah, exactly, and that's where you know um, the theory of beer relativity comes from. It's where you are in in the place defines exactly. where everything else is in in, in the in the place, um, and you know there is no absolute positioning in in the sphere of no. good beer. And I think whether you call it craft or or, or just good beer, um, I think the diversity of players, the big and the small, and the um, you know the niche and the you know the crazy stuff and the the easy drinking stuff and the dare I say it gateway or you know introductory sort of beers um, just makes the the quilt a little bit more pleasant to look at. Yeah, and, and that's where um, I'm sort of working through an article talking about some of these things and that you know that as we move into the post craft beer world or what for me is a post craft beer world world and consumers are very much able to decide on what they like, which is a, you know, that, a subjective thing, then it really becomes about the honesty and integrity of the brand. That becomes important. Um, and so there is something oh, a little great. bit ridiculous. Um, so there's something a little bit ridiculous about a brewery such as Yender, um, which is, is making, you know, on, on one you know, cutting of the cake, some very, very high quality beers. In fact, they make very high quality beers, um, if you like the flavours. But they have been going out of their way since they launched to paint themselves, you know, colour themselves small, um, and you know, driving around that hand-painted caravan in the same, you know, same way that Stone and Wood do, um, you know, talking about how they've just a couple of blokes sitting in a shed um, in Yenda, um, mind you, that Andy Mitchell and the, the it, it is a couple of it's a very big shed. Well, no, but, but they and, talk about And you wouldn't get much change out of probably $40 million to if you wanted to replicate uh, it. $60 million, yeah, $60 million. But, you know, it, it, it's very hard to paint yourself as small when you've got the... When you're piggybacking on the distribution for Coke, which has Jim Beam, Grinders Coffee, Mount Franklin Water, which are everywhere in Australia. Um, you're brewing in a $65 million brew house. Um, the other partner is a $400 million a year wine company, uh, you know, the exports to the United States. Sure, you are starting small, but you're certainly not in the sort of, you know, shoe, you know, um, you know, bootstrap. Uh, no, brewing day to day. Brewing day as, yeah, you know, out. a... Um, no, they, yeah. but, but, is, is, 
is there a perception that they are shouting we are small and 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 niche and you know super craft oh, or is, I, is that our interpretation of their marketing no well that that is very much what they're marketing. i mean they they've launched a big post on their um facebook page this week talking about you know their handmade little tap decals where you know they've released their new beer and some artist has gone out and sourced you know recycled timber that he's stressed and then found all sorts of recycled reclaimed screws from that timber and you know and handcrafted these 500 um, tap decals mate any beer that needs 500 tap decals to launch its beer you're really not that small so you know <laughs> I, would, I would argue that they're not necessarily saying they're small but but perhaps some commentators are interpreting um, what they're saying as them oh, saying oh. we're small but but isn't that what that whole ye olde, you know same as you know coming into these fake heritage brands or you know coming on these um you know we we handcrafted with small you know th that whole thing is about you know two people sitting in a um shed sort of you know knocking out you know hand bottling beers um when they're talking about that is is the emotional connection that they're trying to make you know it, it, it's like all marketing when you when you analyze it too much the mirage disappears um well when you try and pull out exactly what it is they're getting at but they are trying to create this perception that they're this small little brewery, um, you know, plugging away, um, you know, in, in this regional town. Um, and 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 you do start looking a little bit ridiculous, uh, a little bit ridiculous when you when you start doing that. Um, to to my way of thinking. Okay. But anyway, let us let us know what you think. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that that was my. But Nick Decker, thank you very much for that comment. Um, Actually, we got another one uh, just last night um, from Luke. In fact, we got uh, sorry, sorry, it was from Josh. It was a, a bracket of posts. Uh, two, they came an hour apart. Good show, uh, Josh Button. Uh, good show. I much prefer the free-flowing conversations like the one with Temple rather than the soapbox-style shows that are the norm. Cheers, Josh. Thank you very much for that. Uh, taking the time to say that, uh, Josh. He then weighed in with, look, I didn't want that to sound like a backhanded compliment. That was a really good show, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I don't think it was a backhand. It wasn't a backhand. No, it was a full. It was a fist to the yeah, chin. A, yeah, um, but it, what, it was a backhanded insult, saying that all of the rest were were crap. Yeah. So, but no, no, Josh, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, email not once but twice and uh, let us know what you thought. So, um, we've also had someone jump in and star rate us on iTunes. Um, Fitzy Lowell. Um, not sure. So Fitzy laughs out loud, I'm presuming. He's also uh, rated The Stew, which is Jason Stewart food podcast. Don't know that one. Uh, no, I might have to have a look at that one. Instagram, five stars, and uh, draw something. Uh, five stars. Um, and he's titled our review, Aussie Beer Scene, five stars. There is nothing quite like RBN for keeping uh, informed on a broad, a broad range of topics within the Australian beer scene, both craft and commercial. I especially enjoy hearing the interviews with brewers and Matt's ranting. Good one, fellas. There we go. So we've had some very pro-ranting uh, comments this week. <laughs> yeah. That just shows all we can do is do what we're doing and you know, people like it or not. Um, but anyway, no, thank you to everyone that's taken the time. If you are listening and you're not running or training it to work or whatever, um, please take the time uh, next time you're in front of your computer, preferably at work. You know, your, your bosses don't need that 15 minutes of your time um, to rate us on iTunes or give us a post. And don't forget, you can also uh, give us a call on this number, 
That is 07-3040-1508. If you are sitting around uh, or on your phone, take the moment to give us a call on that number, 07-3040-1508, and leave some of your own rants um, for us to uh, listen to uh, for our own and, entertainment. And if you're in the brew house now or you're in the car or um, you know going for a jog or at work, you know, in the cubicle or something like that, when you get to this point in the podcast, wind down your window or whatever it might be and just yell out, I love beer. <laughs> just like those yeah when you, you beep when you pass that's it Toot yeah. if you love honk, honk, honk if you're horny um oh, that was a 70s bumper sticker that i'm glad never uh you know hasn't come back um i guess the one other thing i'd like to just sort of shout out to voting has kicked off in the gabs uh hottest 100 do get in and vote we spoke to steve jeffers last week um Get in and vote. And also brewers, and I know a lot of craft brewers are listening to the show, make sure your beers are registered. We went live yesterday and there's a whole lot of beers, including some you know, very small, insignificant beers that have never featured before, like apparently all of the Stone and Wood beers. Um, none of them were registered for some reason. But get yourself along to beerhub.com.au. Log in and register all of your beers uh, that you want to be eligible for voting. Do that quickly because votes are uh, going to waste. Um, Prof, we might have a bit of a chat next week in our intro and outro because it'll be our pre Christmas yeah, show. Christmas. We're not going to get together and have a beer. We'll, we'll, we definitely will make a point of getting together in January and uh, having a, a an early New Year um, show. But we might have a bit of a chat next week about you know, beers that have that we might be considering for inclusion in our hottest 100. What do you think? I think we could do that. So, uh, and perhaps even a, we could fit in a little bit of a, a segment of, um, you know, best of uh, issues and um, incidents and yes. news that, uh, that tickled us or, um, you know, were sort of touchstone or hot button issues for 2015. We might do that. So, listeners, uh, we'll be recording that next Tuesday. So this will go up Friday. So you'll have a window of a couple of days to send us your thoughts um, and emails about what were the important beers, what were the important issues, and uh, you know maybe even let us know some of your favourite shows for the year. Um, but look, that that probably uh, does us for a good show this week, or does us for a show this week. You let us know how good it was, um, and look forward to uh, catching up with you next Tuesday, Prof. Look forward to it. See you, listeners. out.